and welcome to Ipsa Dixit, a podcast on legal scholarship. I'm your host, Brian L. Fry, Spears Gilbert Professor of Law at the University of Kentucky College of Law. My guest is Robin Schmidt, a journalist covering Web3, decentralized finance, and NFTs, formerly of The Defiant and now of Based AF. So welcome to the show, Robin. Thanks very much, Brian. Now, listen, I want to call you out on something here because you gave your official title, but when we conversed and I was getting you to provide some commentary for an episode, you went... I'd like to go by Dogecoin Professor of Law and Grifting. Indeed. I always say uh, you should choose the title that's aspirational for you. Uh, <laughs> and I really, I want to get Elon's attention. I'm hoping he'll fund a professorship for me. You know, oh, that's, those... I hear he's quite busy right now with, with some other projects he might have on at the moment. But, you know. Yeah, if he does, I'll offer some free legal assistance for what it's worth, you know. Um <laughs> He probably needs it, to be honest. Yeah. Indeed. No, well, indeed. Th- well, thanks very much for the intro. Yes, yes, indeed. I was the head of video and um, multimedia at the, at the Defiant, where I was given the opportunity to present my weird and wonderful take on the world to the world of Web3. And it seemed that quite a few people liked it. Um, we very much felt like coming from DeFi and DeFi Summer, that the world didn't need another dry financial news take on things. And it also didn't need the kind of very kind of tra- traditional journalistic approach, which most Web3 crypto outlets take. It needed something different. But there was also the opposite, which is, you know, you get a lot of kind of so-called influencers on YouTube just kind of chatting crap about what token's going to go up 100x in the next two weeks. We also didn't want to be that. So we, we very much lent into the spirit and the feeling and the the story of what was going on in that space. And that led me, because I, I come from the world of entertainment. I come from music videos and commercials, TV shows, reality TV shows. I've done everything. I've even directed a feature film. I love telling stories. And that's kind of how I ended up in this space doing things the way I did them, which was what would be the most memorable way of telling a story of a hack? And so what I did with this particular story of a hack was I turned it into a slow jam. So I just took someone's tweet thread where they were talking about the very boring minutiae of how many ETH were transferred to what wallet on, wallet on Tornado Cash and what was the ETH address. And then I just did it as an R&B slow jam, but just I improvised it on the fly. And I was like, who does that? But that's that's kind of the point when you're being creative uh, it's to make work that nobody else could have made. And it felt like it, so much of Web3 is deliberately to do work that somebody else has already made, mm-hmm. like to fork stuff. And so, you know, I, I guess I was trying to set a, a standard for like, yeah, I don't copy. Well, so I wonder if you could talk a little bit how about how you got there, because I, I've been following your video work, your kind of journalistic video work for a while. And it's it's really unique because, I mean, it's like visually really clever, but also really solid and well-resourced reporting at the same time, which is sort of a combination you don't see that often. And especially for me, the kind of visual and kind of combination of video and audio kind of creativity in terms of how you put the videos together not to mention how quickly you do it i mean like oh yeah well that, these that's, are... that's so many of the secret source ingredients there well look there's there's a couple of different parts to this which is i spent an enormous amount of my time in my career editing so i i started editing when we were in macos 9 imagine that macos 9 on an imac when the first dv cameras you could plug them in 
with the IEEE one three nine four protocol into a into an iMac and then get video in there and start editing with it. it well, Firewire. That was wild. And that was really kind of when I think the birth of the creator movement happened because you had these tools that were traditionally in the hands of large production companies with large budgets. It was out of reach. Suddenly anyone with a cheap camcorder. I mean, when I say cheap, like there was still a thousand bucks or more, but you could get a result. You could do a thing and you could edit it and you could post it. There was no YouTube. So I've just been editing my entire life. And that skill of editing and understanding how to take raw materials and turn them into something that wasn't there it's kind of it's the stock in trade of anyone who does this job and and just finding a joyful and fun way to take things that are inherently boring is really it's the point of it so that's one part of it then the research part of it i don't know i just i I like researching things but i also am intellectually curious i actually went to the university of oxford don't you know and read english there so so much of what i've had to do academically is about well-grounded research like you don't you don't graduate from oxford unless you can do the homework they won't let you out and they won't let you in if you can't do it either so i've had to i've had to have that as kind of part of my my tool chest anyway and then there's just a sort of intellectual curiosity about web3 and crypto in any way because the it's in in many ways it's it's badly documented but it's actually very well documented and now we have twitter and telegram chats you can go through and parse things in real time and find material that you want and and a lot of other people are doing the kind of short the, the work of redacting it and turning it into digestible content so you can speed through what you need to do it's really just a question of who what sources you trust so once you learn those pathways you can get the content out very very quickly but ultimately the the i guess the secret source that sits on top of that is again taking something that's very dry that isn't physical and can't be filmed and turning it into something that can be filmed. So that was always the challenge to take physical objects and use them as metaphors for things. Like when Curve launched, it was the strangest token launch anyone had ever seen. And I was thinking, how do I represent that in a video without just saying this happened and then this happened? So I used bananas and bananas are curved and the whole thing itself was bananas. And then I just hit myself in the face with bananas and bananas, I use them as a telephone. But that as a, as a, as a riff on an idea it becomes very satisfying. And it became a kind of signature for what we do. But then we did, we told the story of Avagotchi as a post-apocalyptic nightmare in which crypto kitties have taken over the world and, and now we're trying to fight back. It was banana, it's bonkers. Like, why would we do that? And the answer was like, why not? <laughs> like, why not do it like that? So then the speed yeah. thing. The speed thing is basically it's about survival. This This space wasn't as peppy and perky back in 2020 as it became in 2021 so there was space to 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 lean into things and experiment and then when 2021 picked up we just realized that there was a financial reality to this which was sponsors sponsors would pay for content we were one of the very few channels covering this space the way we were doing it bankless was seen as a competitor but they cover it in a very different way to us so we were just out there on our own and people wanted to be part of that. So the more videos we put out, the more sponsors we would have. And then you just learn how to get really, really, really fast at writing scripts. Because if you don't write a script, then the edit takes forever. So every kind of script that we had would have the B-roll and all the pieces of kind of secondary content we want to put in there linked and in the script. So I could give it to an editor once we'd shot it and they would be able to 
puzzle it together, knowing how to put it, you know, knowing what was in my head. And that was my kind of co-conspirator Alp, who was working with me on that, was filming them, and then actually shooting the episodes themselves pretty much happened in real time. It was it was a half an hour film, it would take half an hour to shoot it. And then some of the kind of skits and other things we would do them in a ridiculously short amount of time, one take and done. And you just learn to get really good at it. And the other thing we did was live, going live. The camera goes live, particularly like with real vision, for instance. And you just have to talk and you have to make a coherent, cohesive sentence that makes sense first time. All of that was just, you know, it just gets you really good at doing things very fast and well. And it's just time on the ground, really, I think, more than anything else. As I understand it, you first kind of moved into reporting on the Web3 space when you started working at the Defiant. Am I right in understanding it that way? And did you know about no. the Web3 before you did that? And if not, sort of what was the sort of learning curve to get yourself to where you felt comfortable doing yeah. the kind of really sophisticated reporting work that you've been doing? Well, I want you to, to rewind five years and imagine me deep down happy with doing what I was doing. And this is ridiculous because in terms of being a director, I, I'd done tons of things and, and learned loads, but I was so unhappy with what I was doing because I was shooting commercials for vacuum cleaners and coffee machines and consumer products, which are just, I mean, it's like, it's like so uncreative. Had all this money and budget to shoot things nicely and crew and all these kind of things. And it's very structured and very stable, but so, so dull. And like my, my creativity was just being ground into the dust. So I, I was looking for something different. I was just trying to figure out where I would go next. And I ended up kind of falling down the rabbit hole of crypto 2017, right when that bull run was really picking up pace and just thought this was really exciting and there were some really interesting ideas there and i kind of picked up on nfts when they happened with crypto goodies and i thought they were a really interesting way of potentially combating piracy for films specifically and i was thinking how could you take the distribution component of a blockchain and marry it with the scarcity of an nft and create a new proxy or a new mechanism for filmmakers to fund and distribute their products and as things have turned out, a lot of people have tried to go down that same route and have hit some roadblocks. But that was really where I was was interested. But if I'm being really honest, I was poor and I was hitting middle age. I had two young kids. I was like, what am I doing with my life? And so I was trying to solve the problem of money. And I think when you pose that problem of money, it's I don't have enough money. Whereas what I started to think more in terms of was actually no money is the problem. So if you can solve money, as in you can solve what money actually is and how it functions, then you'd be a lot happier. And that's basically what I set out to try and do. In the course of that, I, I just realized I needed to, to escape the work I was in. And it's, it's like it's no disservice to the company I was working for. They do really good work. I just hated it, which was even the worst bit because I'd, I'd made it. I was successful, but I hated the work. So I, I took a plunge and I spent about a year courting harmony the layer one sharding protocol to see if there was some work we could do together and i thought it might be a, a documentary so i went out to san francisco and i went to meet them and i pitched them an idea and i i might i might just tell you what the idea was now because i i see if it holds up in 2022 
But basically what I said to them was like, you as Harmony have a problem, which is nobody outside of crypto cares at all. So how can we make them care? How can we give them a way in which to understand this space and really in kind of explore what it is that you're doing? So I came up with this crazy idea, which was a Facebook blackout. I was like, we Harmony are going to support this initiative for everyone around the world to just not use WhatsApp, Instagram, and Facebook for a weekend. And what we're going to do is we're going to figure out the value to Facebook of the time that you don't spend on the platform. And then we, Harmony, are going to give that value back to you in the shape of one tokens. So we would have a little browser-based widget in your browser that would track your data and say, okay, this is how much you would have earned and this is how much you would have done. Uh, and now we're going to give that value back to you. So we're going to, it was basically would have been a massive airdrop of one tokens. And what we hope to do, well, my idea was that we would initiate a, a sort of debate about the value of our time. It would initiate a massive airdrop and get people thinking about staking. And what we also hoped it was it would persuade other blockchains to come in and be part of that. Because if we could then have a buffet of tokens in people's wallets that they're thinking about and trading with, and then thinking about the services that you could transmit through that wallet, that would be really interesting. And so instead of it being a, a why should I bother problem, it would just be a, yeah, okay, why not? And if you're thinking about the time we spend online, everything else, like what would people do with the time that they weren't spending on social media? And that was basically the idea. Could this scrappy little Silicon Valley startup create a, a national movement where we would track things with a heat map to see where was the most disconnected community in the US? Could we start a social movement to understand the way people interact with social media and with time and everything else. And like, they loved it. And then we kind of got into the development of that idea. And within a couple of months, they said, listen, I, we'd really like to hire you as our creative director. And at that point I said, yeah, I'm on, let's do it. Through the course of that, I realized that what I wanted to do was going to be extremely difficult because the team just weren't set up for it. Nothing was set up for it. It's also it's impossible to pick up the phone to EOS or block one, for instance, and say, listen, we want to do this. Are you in? Because they just go, no, <laughs> that's just not, it's not the way blockchain works. Um, so where I went and said was, listen, guys, there's one thing I can do to really help you here, which is I can tell stories. I can set up a YouTube channel, get a camera and start putting myself in front of the camera to tell the story of Harmony and get, get what you do out in front of people. So that's what I did. And then it was the pandemic. We were trying to put these videos out there. The Harmony community was really beat down, hated Harmony, hated the team, hated everything about it. We tried to be the one sort of bright spot and all of that. But like there was just a lot of negative sentiment. It was 2019. Things were bad. And then DeFi summer happened. And we just started, you know, we started looking at that going, where does Harmony's DeFi component come in where's and it's like it just wasn't ready yet so i was like guys we need to have a footprint in DeFi, like something to say in DeFi. so why don't we partner up with the defiant and try and get some quality videos out there that tell this story in the way that i think it should be told we actually approached bankless as well i have the email thread with ryan adams he responded to one email. I said, dude, you know, would you be interested in making videos? He said, oh, yeah, videos, that could be interesting. And I said, well, here's what I propose we do. And then he ghosted me. And then they went off and did their own videos. So it's quite possible that at some point I could have been doing it for Bankless instead. Uh, but it's not what happened. So, so that was kind of interesting. And then Cami 
really enjoyed the videos I was putting out there. We did it for about five months, I think. And then she made me an offer and said, listen, I think you should come and do it for us full time. Would you be interested in joining the team and doing that? And I was like, you know what? I actually would. Because those Defiant videos, those early ones, I enjoyed them so much. Like we did one where we we did, we told, we did the entire story in rap. So we wrote like five rap songs and, and just raps what happened. Like just bananas. So much fun though. And like there was no one to say, don't do it. And Cami was like, well, yeah go for it. This is creative and it's weird and it's different. It feels true to the space. So yeah, I'm, I'm in. So, so yeah, that was it. And then a year and a half later, I, I said goodbye and now I'm on to new things. Well, we'll talk about that in a second, but before we do, I, I mean, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about your perspective of the space as you've been reporting on it for for the last several years. I mean, as you say, you sort of first started reporting as someone looking at kind of decentralized finance and reporting on that angle. More lately, you've been reporting a lot more on NFTs and the NFT market. I wonder what you think about the relationship between the two and how the market has developed over the course of the time that you've been reporting on it. Uh. I don't think the market's developed at all. I think the market is an, an exact mirror image of the people who participate in it. And going through 2017 and then 2021, it was identical in pretty much every single way. My, I listened to my own internal clock and how I was feeling about it and the sort of rhythms I had because I, I was very much sort of trading shit coins in 2017 and then fell into the ICO thing and and then in 2021, I wasn't doing any trading at all, but I was um, in terms of shit coins, but I was definitely trading and enjoying playing around with NFTs, uh, which felt in some ways a lot like a combination of shit coins and ICOs at the same time. Um, but the the way in which kind of, what's the right word here? False messiahs pop up and then are brought down. Doquan, for instance, uh pantomime villains there's always a pantomime villain of some sort it just happens that the pantomime villain was both the same person like elon musk was both you know a false messiah and a pantomime villain as was michael saylor uh all of that kind of thing you know back in 2017 we had jihan Wu. remember that yeah and roger ver was both good guy and bad guy at the same time so all of that felt very familiar craig wright never goes away and then and then just the movement of people into the space attracted by Word of mouth, because that's what it is. I heard my mate was making money in crypto, so I took a look. And then suddenly all these people who have spent two months in the space are experts and they feel empowered to go on social media and talk about how very, very good they are, what they do. And then they kind of have a few successes and build a community and shut off a piece of that community to make it kind of VIP access. And then, And then when the market turns red, they have no experience for that and how that looks and how to react to it and what you do in those situations and then everything is defensive and apologetic and all they just disappear i mean that's i i I've, if you were in the space in 2013 i'm sure it was exactly the same um <laughs> nothing has changed and it's amazing how similar the game stop wall street bets 
community was like i mean i you know human beings in online communities tend to just react the same way and do the same things and the hype cycles tend to follow the same patterns so uh, i don't think the market has changed at all i don't think the market has evolved at all certainly the technology has evolved and that's the interesting bit but it tends to evolve in a quite a linear way it's just the excitement around it is very non-linear so it always feels like certain ideas pick up steam and are abandoned unfairly and other ideas pick up steam and are abandoned very fairly indeed but we don't know which one's which until much later on Mm. well so how does that inform your storytelling process when you go about kind of trying to explain what you're seeing in the moment in in the space because i I, that rings very true to me the idea that this is not only very cyclical but the cycles are sort of spinning incredibly rapidly when you try to explain to your viewers what's taking place like sort of what do you want to get across to them yeah good good question well there's two ways to look at it one of which is qualitative in terms of you know providing analysis or providing a filter through which to view the world and i struggle with that bit um because I'm very good at seeing patterns in things. It was why I read English at university because I can take a piece of literature and apply a pretty good interpretation to it, even if I've never read it before, because I can build what appear to be very good pieces of construction around it and make it sound plausible. And it also helps that I'm English and I sound like I do. That's that's a weapon you have to wield very carefully, particularly when it comes to analysis because it can bite you in the ass for lots of different reasons. And I don't want to be the reason people lost money. And I don't want to get excited about something and transmit that excitement in a way that is unhelpful or unhealthy as well. Because if you get excited about something, people stop thinking for themselves. And so you, you enter into this position where you are optimistic about something and excited about it and want to be enthusiastic. But at the same time, what you're doing is short-circuiting the piece in people's brains that they need to make decisions and good decisions for themselves because they're too lazy and because it's too overwhelming out there for them to do so. And I get that. But at the end of the day, if you get burned, it's your own fault. If you don't do the homework, it's your own fault. And if you listen to me and nobody else, that's also your own fault. You need some variety in your diet. So that bit of it, I struggled with. I definitely would call back to the series of films I did on Pack, for instance. I made three of them. And I found it fascinating from a literary criticism perspective, looking at Pac's body of work and understanding the depth and the thinking and the breadcrumbs. And I got very excited by it. And it was really intellectually satisfying and challenging. And so I made a film that I thought was intellectually interesting. But what it did do was it probably validated Pac's body of work at a moment when it shouldn't have, I shouldn't have been doing so. Because the best moment to evaluate somebody's body of work is when everything is quiet, when all the hype has died away, because then you can see it properly. Whereas I was looking at it at a time when things were exciting, but then that's kind of what you do on YouTube. You trend jack, you jump on the things that are exciting and are hot. And then that becomes the way in which you validate your own existence as a creator, because your numbers are necessarily artificially high because you trend jacked. And so that's that's always a tough bit. And on the other side of things, if something happened and it verifiably did happen, then what's the most entertaining way I can tell that story? Always. That's not about me wanting to be entertaining. It's because I would just not be able to do it unless I did do it that way. 
I find it very difficult to just tell things the normal way. There's certain, there's certain way you feel about stuff and there's certain conversations that you track in Telegram and across Twitter that's just really bizarre and capturing that and presenting that in a way that's true to it. Um, well, that's, you know, that's what you can do on YouTube. You don't have to be a guy sitting at a desk just saying, well, this happened and this happened because you don't. And I think, you know, at the end of the day, people want to be entertained. They're giving you their attention. And if you can't hold that attention, then, well, then the numbers don't lie, basically, <laughs> is the truth of it. <laughs> well, so you recently posted a video to The Defiant effectively saying that you were going to be moving on to a new project, but you were tantalizingly unspecific about exactly what that new project was was going to be. I wonder if you could talk about what your plans are for the future going forward. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I've been a content creator for the last two and a half years. Before that, I was a filmmaker and I still am a filmmaker. I want to kind of explore where this creator economy goes for a couple of different reasons. Firstly, I've gotten really sort of comfortable here now and I like the vibe of it and I like the freedom to not have to make work for other brands to make the vacuum cleaner commercials and to be subject to the same kind of strict guidelines all of that so I'm very happy here secondly the kind of the kind of stories I want to tell I feel will be reaching bigger audiences than the niche ones that were in DeFi and I really want to explore how expansive that can be so I needed to find a, a niche in which we weren't at the mercy of the Bitcoin cycle. So what I landed on was the metaverse because I was thinking about what, what am I interested in? What am I excited by? What are the conversations that have got me really fired up with founders throughout the time on the Defiant? And NFTs, some of DeFi, specifically yield farming, was really interesting. And DAOs a little bit, although I'm still skeptical on DAOs. But the metaverse was the big idea that really speaks to me. And it's, it boils down to one simple thing. It's like when I watch my kids play Roblox, they're in the metaverse. For them, that is the metaverse. And they're in it and they're happy and they have the best time. And I, we have to very strictly ration the amount of time they spend in Roblox. But I'm fascinated by the insane speed and creativity with which they express their imaginations just on a crappy phone screen. And so like, if I'm going to do something for the next 10 years which is what this has to be like how is it going to impact their lives how is it going to be something that that makes sense to them so the metaverse is like this big story it cuts across hardware it cuts across education it's ai it's ar it's vr it's massive but it's also really niche that's the weird thing about it like nobody's really covering it there's a few podcasts but they're always talking about the trillion dollar opportunity and and like what nvidia's quarterly reports were or you've got guys just basically saying, if you buy this land in on this platform, it'll probably go up a thousand X tomorrow. And it's like, what's in between? The, the in-between bit is the big ideas of the metaverse need to be explored and tested out and looked at in a very human way because we're talking about virtual worlds here. So I thought there was an opportunity for, for, for me and how I do things to, to land there and approach it like Mr. Beast. Like if Mr. Beast was in the metaverse and only doing videos about the metaverse, what would he do? And how would I make that really, really entertaining? And is that something I want to spend the next 10 years doing? 
And the answer was absolutely 100% yes. So in a nutshell, we will be a content creation studio focused on the metaverse, trying to tell the most entertaining stories we can to reach the biggest audience we can. Now that's just like creator scales up big and then it's like build an audience and monetize the audience. Where I think things get really interesting is that a lot of creators, not all, but the vast majority think entirely in terms of build an audience and monetize the audience. Whereas I think the Web3 version of that is you build a third pillar, which is share the spoils. Now, when Mr. Beast gives away money, that's what he's doing, but it's not very formalized and it's not very regular in terms of his community. What we want to do is make it a regular thing that we have a community that's part of the journey with us from the start who are based AF, which means they're true to themselves. They are honest. They they go for things. They're a bit punk. And that's basically what we want to be. We want to be fearless. We want to be trying stuff out in a space that is basically a wasteland at the moment and being the ones hopefully inspiring people to come and take a look at the metaverse because we think it's awesome. Genuinely, we think that, that there is so much mind-blowing technology being developed around this space that if it all comes together, it will just make everything look and feel so awe-inspiring that it might kind of kick off a new era of humanity. And there are all sorts of things like Balaji's network state, for instance. That is, that's the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or a potential pot of gold at the end of the rainbow that comes together when you have a community around a creator and what they do that's decentralized, that has a, you know, a very simple call to collective action, which is watch a video, you know, come together and watch this thing at the same time. That's really why we wanted to do based. We'll make YouTube videos, YouTube shorts and streaming videos, but also the long form stuff. The stories are going to be extremely carefully crafted. We're entering a period in YouTube where storytelling is coming to the fore again. It's been about spectacle clickbait the most grabby thumbnail possible and then some young guy in his 20s shouting at you for for, you know for 15 minutes there's a more nuanced version of youtube coming that's more story driven and that's like falling right into my lap at the right time so we want to do that but youtube is also just about to shoot up in terms of its preeminence as the creator platform of choice monetizing shorts twitch is dropping the ball on live streaming and so feels like a really good time to just jump in and, and be that. And, you know, you, we're also jumping in in this, this growth story that's going to be probably the biggest story in tech in the next 20 years that no one seems to understand how to cover yet. They were like, right here, we know how to do it because we're not thinking like you. We're just like, this is ridiculous. Let's make mm-hmm. it as ridiculous as possible. So, you know, when you see a big Mr. Beast video, he's always pushing things as far as possible. We're going to be doing the same thing. We're not playing it safe. And that's kind of the promise when you come and see a base video. We're also going to have an NFT community. We are doing a PFP, but that PFP represents our audience. They're going to be, it's be like, imagine it's a show and the, the NFT represents a VIP part of the show. So you can be in the show. You can win prizes as part of a quiz show or a game show. But you're also like in the metaverse. If something cool happens and no one shows up, then why did it happen? We need to have an audience that is, enabled and motivated to show up when we do things in there so hopefully that gives you a bit of a sense of what we're up to some of the scope yeah, I, 
Absolutely. And I, I think one of the things that's been really interesting to me is that I feel like everyone's talking about the metaverse, or at least a lot of people kind of here and there are talking about the metaverse, but a lot of people seem really unsure or unclear about what exactly that means. And it, it sounds to me that what you're saying is that on some level, you see the metaverse as really being about a new forum for a different kind of storytelling. Yeah. Well, I think it's a it's a new form of social interaction. At its best, it's going to be an enriched form of social interaction. But the the thing that I find it fascinating about it is that I have spent so long thinking about storytelling on a flat screen. And now what I'm doing is I'm starting to build in all sorts of weird technological components to that. And they're forcing me down pathways and into conversation with developers of technology that I just wouldn't have otherwise. And they're forcing me to think about storytelling. So the metaverse is kind of a blank canvas at this point, which is why it's also exciting for me because there's no rules yet. We get to decide how it's going to be and we get to explore it. And that means we can't fail. So like, there's never been a better opportunity to be completely fearless about the content you make because no one has ever done it before. Most of the things we're going to be trying will be firsts. And so why not? You know, and if we if we fail, well, you know, in two weeks we'll do a different video and we'll uh, approach it in a different way. But absolutely, that that's that's it. I mean, one of the things that we're doing is building a motion capture volume in the studio here. So you have the you know like the film Avatar, skin tight suits, little ping pong balls, and then cameras all around the room that capture your movements. And there's a lot of motion tracking technology coming to the market, which just looks at your video frame and can track your fingers and track your face pretty successfully if you turn this way can't do it uh, that's always been a problem and it won't know where your legs are and then you've got suits which have inertial sensors like you have in your iphone that can understand movement has happened from a to b but we don't know where a to b is all we can do is measure that movement and then turn that into motion capture data so with the suits you have a fully triangulated 3d rig and 3d image of the points on the suit that can then be transmitted to Unreal Engine, probably, or Unity, to power a character. So for me, as much as it's great to see my face and see me go through physical things in the physical world that connect to the metaverse, a big part of what we do has to be virtual. And if we need it to be virtual and expressive and show the full range of the things that we want to do and sophisticated, yes, we can go into crypto voxels and do stuff, and like there's whole Minecraft channels that are built around characters that are deeply unsophisticated and very successful nonetheless. But we want to have the option to have a, a very sophisticated version of this where our expressions and our expressiveness can be directly translated to a character. But here's the best bit in real time. So you're taking all this massively GPU and CPU uh, heavy data processing and breaking it down into a system where literally you could live stream completely like that with multiple characters on the stage, with props that can be tracked, that can be handed from one character to another. That's very sophisticated. Takes a bit of time to set it all up, but really exciting. And then I could stream in character, you know, people from other places in the world directly into our stage. So we could have virtual concerts. I could have a guitar that's tracked. And if I twist this dial, it starts raining. I have full control over my set. That's where we want to go. Have this complete kind of virtual and IRL presence that can shapeshift from place to place to place and be what we want to be, just depending on how we want to do it. 
that's the the technology com- technology component taking the 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 physical component what we do and transporting us to other worlds i mean we're costing up a a shoot at the moment for the first film it takes us to kenya it takes us to mexico and we're we're treating it like a pilot and going to these places specifically because they are the inspiration point for the virtual worlds that we want to build. So we go to the Copper Canyon in Chihuahua in Mexico, and it's incredible. It's beautiful beyond all belief. And we like ground ourselves in that and make this like the, the point of reference for the experiences that we want to create in the metaverse. And it should be as breathtaking as that, but that's expensive. Now going and doing those trips is expensive. If we can build a system in which we can travel to the pyramids in ancient Egypt, or we can be in a Mayan temple or we could be on the ground in Beirut. But from the holodeck, as we call it, from the virtual studio, that opens up insane possibilities for storytelling, which it's going to take us probably a year and a half to two years to really perfect. But like getting it going now and really building it into what we do is, is so exciting. It's really, really exciting. So that's kind of a big part of BASED as well. It's like this technology component that it's going to be very difficult for anyone else to kind of replicate. But um, we're hoping we can also rent out to NFT projects like Cyber Brokers, for instance, are really interested to see what we can do with this and maybe we can tell some stories in their universe as well. Um, so yeah, really, really exciting times and, and terrifying because it's kind of like setting up three startups simultaneously. Like one's a YouTube channel, one's a virtual production studio. And then like literally the whole, the entire company, the investable proposition is its own startup and I have to be CEO of all of that. It's, it's, it's wild. Fun times though. <laughs> No, it sounds amazing, and I I can't wait to see what what you come up with. Um, so, Robin, thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really enjoyed talking to you. Uh, learned a lot about uh, about what you've been doing, and uh, I really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Sorry, I did all the talking. I didn't let you talk at all. <laughs> Father's awfully busy, at eight he robs a train. 
From then till noon in a big balloon, he's followed by a sheriff in an aeroplane. From one till three neath an old oak tree, they hang him to a bow. But if he's alive, he'll be home at five. He's working in the movies now. They wanted something nautical to make the picture play. My dad's a naughty actor, so they grabbed him right away. Next week he sails to New South Wales to some pearl fishery. For when he heard the girls were burnt, he said, I'll go to sea. Father's awfully busy, he'll sail the bounding main. With two big queens from the Philippines, they'll throw him from a schooner in a fishing seine. He'll dive for pearls with a couple of girls beneath a raft or scow. But the screen won't show all he does below. He's working in the movies now. 